staff here in JHM. Um, I've been here for like two short months, and in these two months, I've already gotten to do so many awesome things and gotten to know so many of you awesome junior hires. Um, you know, in two months, like uh, we've had crazy awesome things. We had Christmas. We got to 2017. We made it. Uh, we went to winter camp as junior high. Uh, my life group, I lost in Madden like four times to Cade for my life group. Like it's just been the best two months. So thank you, junior high, for, for like welcoming me and making me feel like I have a place in this place. So we're finishing the series today. We're doing it. We made it. Four weeks of freedom. And so our whole church for the last four weeks has been doing this series called Freedom, Money, Peace in a Money Crazy World. And the cool thing that we've gotten to look at is, is freedom from Jesus in money, but then also in our relationships. And then today we're going to talk about freedom from Jesus in our influence with others and what that means. Uh, and it's the best. I love times where our whole church gets to learn together. And in fact, if you're in a life group for the next four weeks, for the whole month of February, we're going to be doing financial peace in our life groups, which is awesome. You'll learn more about that if you're in a life group. It's going to be the best. Okay. Um, like I said, uh, before I was at, at, here at JHM, I was a youth pastor in San Diego. And when you're a youth pastor, you get to go to like a lot of camps. So sometimes you speak at camps, sometimes you take your youth group to camps. Really, really early, I was really, really young, uh, young in my start as a youth pastor. And really early in, in my being a youth pastor, we went to this camp. And we had the camp, and I didn't know that much about it. Uh, I just heard that there's a speaker named Tim. Tim's this older guy, and, and you know... I was young, so I was like, come on, why didn't they just, like, hire Jeremy to be the speaker? Like, that would have been so much more fun, right? Or, like, a Justin, like, somebody who's going to be loud and fun, like, or a Kristen, like, you know, I was like, man, we could have, you know, this has been so fun. But, you know, I get there, I was like, all right, you know, Tim seems cool. And so the camp director was like, hey, just so you know, like, you know, Tim is, like, every year he kind of comes back, and, and I kind of, we think he's, like, kind of losing a step. Like, he's, like, he's getting to that point where he, like, does some crazy stuff. And I was like, great, cool, like, thanks for the heads up. It's not going to be that crazy. So we get to chapel. And there's like 300 junior hires in the room. And, you know, it smells like Justin. It's just so, there's so much body odor in the room. And, and <laughs> that was Kristen. Kristen called it out, man. So, <laughs> oh, okay, well, come on. So, you know, there's just like so much excitement. The five-minute countdown goes, boom, there's a worship band. And then, you know, room goes quiet. And, and, you know, Tim just sort of slowly walks out to the center of the stage with the kind of confidence and the kind of just, you know, posture that you only get with age. And he, he comes up to the middle of the stage, and he sort of just takes his place, his head's down a little bit, and on his left side, there's a podium. On the right side, there's a trash can. <clears throat> Doesn't say a word. The room's dead silent. I've never heard 300 junior hires be that quiet. He leans down, and he picks up from behind the trash can an M80, which is an illegal firework. You shouldn't know what that is, but on the chance that you do know what it is, it's a really big firework. And so he pulls up this M80, and if you've ever seen, like, legal fireworks, like sparklers at 4th of July, you know that most fireworks have these little short fuses that burn for, like, two seconds, and then it's like, and you take pictures with it. Okay, this had, like, a cartoon fuse. It was, like, it was like a two-foot-long fuse that would probably burn for, like, 30 seconds. And he just holds this firework, doesn't say a word, flips open a lighter. Also, don't have lighters at camp. That's illegal, too. But flips open a lighter. He lights the end of the fuse, and I was like, oh, yeah, Tim, like, this is what I came to camp for. Like, this is awesome. And I'm thinking, like, all right, we're blown up in God's love. We're like, you know, like, this is, a, this is an analogy, and it's going to be awesome, and I already know the ending. Um, and so, you know, fuse is burning. You know, 10 seconds of fuse burns, and I'm like, Tim, when are you going to, like, say something? And then when are you going to, like, you know, do the thing where you, like, lick your finger and then, like, extinguish the fuse? Also, don't try that at home. Like, when are you going to do that? 
so that your hand doesn't blow off. Like, come on, Tim, like, let's get to the punchline. <laughs> fuse is burning, fuse is burning, fuse is burning. Gets to like, you know, about five seconds of fuse left. And I thought, Tim, what are you doing? You literally, you have like some crazy death wish for your fingers, like you don't care about your fingers. Just silently, doesn't say a word, picks up the trash can, throws the M80 inside, throws the trash can lid on it, takes one, two, three steps back, and on his third step, like a metal trash can literally like bent inwards from the force of the explosion. It was so epic. And the entire room just erupts like, like not fear but cheering like that was awesome and I'm like in the back like beating my chest like yeah Tim like that was epic like the most exciting thing any of us had ever seen at church or at a camp and I thought this is what we came to camp for like all right like now let's get to Jesus cool um, and then you know the room like the shock fades off a little bit Tim just goes would you like to see it again and there wasn't a single person in the room that wasn't like, yeah, Tim, like, like, let's go. Like, the whole room's just like, yeah, do it. And so Tim bends down again, and this time he, he picks up a triple M80. So it's like three M80s that he had duct taped together. And it, and it didn't just have, like, one single fuse, but it had three fuses that he had sort of twisted together. It looked like a rope. So there's this, like, rope of fuses, and it was a little bit shorter than the other one. There's this triple M80, and I'm like, that. Like, get a dumpster out here, Tim. Like, let's blow up a dumpster. Like, there's a boy's cabin over there. Like, let's blow the cabin up. Like, this is going to be awesome. And so he doesn't say a word. Lighter. And like, okay, I don't have a good enough sound effect for this because it was literally so many fuses, but you could hear the fuses burning. That was how quiet the room was and how big the fuse was. It's like, like churning through this fuse as the fire is going along it. And I'm like, all right, Tim wheel out the dumpster, like, let's go, Tim. Uh, fuse burning, fuse burning, fuse burning. And then all of a sudden, with about 10 seconds to go, I think, Tim, there's no dumpster. What are you going to do? Like, what's your game plan? Like, let's go, dude. Let's go, let's go, let's go. I've got, like, the lives of my youth group are in the room, plus a bunch of other youth groups. Like, let's, Tim, come on. Like, do something right now. Fuse burns. Gets to about five seconds-ish left to go just looks in the room, kind of closes his eyes like a wedding bouquet toss, and just <laughs> tosses it in the air. And it rotates end over end. <laughs> and it, like, I've had two moments in my life, by the way, where time slowed down, like to the point where I could actually think about like, what was happening in my impending death. And I like, had the conscious thought of like, oh, there's so many things I've never done. Like, I haven't bought a house. Like, I just graduated college. Like, I, you know, I've had literally, like, so much body sweat because I'm so nervous right now. Like, I was, I had all of those thoughts were just flooding through my brain. <laughs> Fuse burning. And it lands in the middle of the room, and I've never seen 300 junior hires move this quickly. Literally, the room just, like, poosh, like, people are rushing in emergency exits. Leaders are, like, shoving junior hires behind them, like, save yourself. I'm, like, I'm, like, shielding myself with, like, a sixth grader. I'm, like, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. I was, I was very young. I would not do that now. If it was now, I would be, like, shielding you guys, I promise. But, you know, I'm, like, shielding myself with, like, a sixth grader. I'm, like, like I'm going to die. There's a moment where pandemonium was so high that I think even if it had blown up, people wouldn't have known. But then a few minutes later, people realized that the bomb of M80s that Tim had made 
didn't kill us. Like, we're still there. We're still on planet Earth. We're all of a sudden in heaven, although that would have been cool. Room is just chaos. People start, like, coming back together, and, like, you know, leaders, the camp staff are like, all right, guys, like, come on, like, go back to your seats. And there's, I'll be honest, there's a small part of me that was like, Tim, pull out five. Like, go big, Tim. But, you know, everybody's, like, kind of coming back together. And as people get back to their seats and, like, the quiet comes down, literally takes 20 minutes, Tim goes, crosses his hands, you moved because you believed. Room is totally silent. He says it again. You moved because you believed. I love that thought, and I love that illustration that Tim taught me that day. Because when we move, we move because we believe that something's going to happen. We move because we've been influenced or led by someone. Literally, the definition of a leader, a leader is somebody who takes somebody from where they are right now to where they are going. A leader is somebody who takes somebody from where they are now to where they are going. And here's the, th- here's the thing. I believe with every fiber of my being that every single person has, has giftings, has passions, has things that God's given them that makes them unique, that God's given them those things specifically to influence and inspire and influence the world. And I believe that because of that, everybody influences someone. Everyone influences someone. Everyone in this room, there's like 150 of you in the room, everyone is a leader for someone. Now that is true. That's just, that's just truth. We can debate it later if you don't agree with me. As much as it's true, there's a piece of me, and if there's a piece of me that thinks this, then I know that there's a piece of some of you that think this too, that I look at other people, and I look at other pe- what people are doing to influence people, and I look at how other people are leading, and I compare myself. And when I say I, I really mean we. We compare ourselves. When we look at other people, we see how cool they are, or the kind of clothes that they wear, or the stuff that they do with their lives, or the way that they are leading and influencing people, we think, how is anything that I'm doing significant? Like, what I'm doing doesn't matter in comparison to that person, so I might as well just give up. It's it's like looking at a basketball player and saying, I'll never be LeBron James, so I might as well just quit basketball forever. I'll never be, you know, the greatest basketball player of all time, so I might as well just sit on the bench and, and not even try. But here's the thing. Everybody influences someone. And I think that the lie that you could hear is that you don't. That the things that, you, the things that you've done or the things that you um, lack or the things that you don't have that are like everybody else, that those would somehow inhibit you, that's just not true. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible is, in, is, a, is about a guy named Moses. It's in the book of Exodus. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Exodus, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the carts at the end. If you're on the end, you can pass some Bibles down. If you brought a Bible, great job. Thanks for bringing a Bible to church. Before we dive into Exodus chapter 4, I'm going to just catch up a little bit on where we're at in the story of the Bible. Because the Bible is one huge story, and it's an awesome one. Where we're at in the story is that there is a group of people in the Bible. They are known as the Israelites. And the very first Israelite was named? Not Israel, but Moses. No, not, also not Moses. You tricked me there for a second. I was like, yeah, Moses. The very first Israelite was known as what? Abraham. Abraham. Thank you, loud and proud over there. So Abraham... Abraham was this guy in the Bible who God came to and said, hey, Abraham, from you, there's going to be a bunch of descendants, and those descendants are going to be my people, and I'm going to be their God, and I'm going to be with them, and I'm going to, I, they will be my people, and I will be their God. Those Israelites are God's people. The Israelites make a lot of decisions. They go through a lot of things. There's a point in the story 
There's a point in the story of the Israelites where the Israelites are in slavery. And while the Israelites are in slavery, the Israelites are in slavery in a place called Egypt. Now the king, the ruler over all of Egypt, is a guy named Pharaoh. Next part of where we're at in the story is Moses is born at a time when Pharaoh had issued this decree. The decree said all firstborn children, all firstborn sons from Israelite families should be killed. Like they, they should not be allowed to live. And so Moses' mom was an Israelite. Moses' mom gave birth to him, and she did what all good moms would do. She put her baby in a basket, and she stuck him in a river and said, good luck. Um, thank, later, thank your mom or adult you live with for not sticking you in a river in a basket and saying good luck. Um, so she, like, sends him down this river, and then uh, Pharaoh's daughter actually fishes this basket out of the river and raises Moses, who should have been a slave in Israel, as a prince in Egypt, as a member of Pharaoh's family, which is just the craziest plot twist ever to, to Moses' life. Now, Moses grows up. Um, he knows that he's different. He knows that he doesn't totally fit in or belong with the, the world he's living in. Um, and there's a point in the story where he actually kills a guy who's, tr- who's mistreating one of the Israelite sl- slaves in Egypt. After he kills the guy, he goes, like, I can't go home now. Like, there's no going back from that. So he flees. And then he eventually, as all good stories do, he meets a girl. They fall in love. They have a bunch of kids. And they live happily ever after in a white picket fence. I'm just kidding. They didn't have white picket fences back then. So Moses meets this girl. They fall in love. And then... They do have kids. They don't live happily ever after because there's a day where Moses is walking and Moses ends up in a conversation with God. And while Moses is in this conversation with God, God tells Moses, hey, Moses, I want you to go influence Pharaoh, like the biggest, baddest person in the world right now. I want you to go influence him and convince him that he needs to release all of the Israelites. He needs to let my people go and he needs to make sure that all the Israelites are no longer slaves in Egypt. Now, if you're Moses, I'm not like, if I'm Moses, I'm not jumping up and down like, yeah, God, like, send me on that mission. Like, remember, last time Moses is in Egypt, he kills a guy. Moses also, we learn this in the story, that Moses has a has super bad speech impediment. So it's not like he was sending somebody who's like a public speaker who speaks for a living. Like, he's not sending like a Justin who can talk well and influence people with his words. Like, he's sending a guy who literally can't get two words out after himself, and he killed a guy. So like, God is, is picking one of the less likely people for the dodgeball team. And so Moses has this, like, interaction with God where he's like, God, like, who am I to do it? No, I won't do it. No, like, and he's, like, going back and forth. And then we reach this awesome point in the story where we're at in Exodus 4 where God says, where, where, where Moses basically asks for a sign. So if you have your Bible, we're going to go to Exodus 4, verses 1 through 5. Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Now back then, he would have, they would have had shepherd's staffs, and these would not have just been like walking sticks that you could get at REI, but a shepherd's staff would actually have like a crook in it at the top, sort of like a candy cane that you would use to like wrangle in a sheep when it was starting to go astray. And this shepherd's staff it's, I mean, I feel like my mom wishes that she probably had one of those when I was growing up. Like, every time I'm running away, like, no, mom, I won't clean my room. That's how I talked. She, like, I wish my mom could just, like, <laughs> well, I don't wish that. My mom probably wishes that. Um, but Moses had this shepherd's staff with this big crook at the top. And God says, Moses, I want you to throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses, understandably, jumps back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. 
Now, if I was Moses, that's like the coolest trick I've ever done. I would totally just like be like, staff, snake, snake, staff, staff, snake. Like I'd go home and show my wife and kids and be like, look what I learned how to do today. Like staff, snake, snake, staff. Like that is awesome. I could make money off of that. And then the Lord says, perform this sign. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really has appeared to you. Okay. Here's the thing. I love this about this story is that God told Moses. God told Moses, Moses who has a speech impediment, Moses who killed a guy, Moses who was not qualified or trained or ready to do what God was asking him to do. God told Moses not to go clean up and figure himself out before he could do something for God. God said, Moses, I put something in your hand. I want you to use what's in your hand. Moses, I want you to use the thing in your hand to, to serve and follow me and inspire and influence people for Jesus. God told Moses to use what was in his hand. I, I love that. And here's the thing, is that I believe that God invites you to do the same thing. That everybody, as I said earlier, has unique giftings and passions and talents and things that you're good at and things that you care about and things that break your heart in the world. I think God's put those things in your hand uniquely and differently so that you can go influence, inspire, and impact the world for Jesus. Because everybody is uniquely and differently gifted. And so, here's the thing. That sounds really good. And that's like kind of motivational. We can just go out on that note and be like, oh, that's really good. Cool. Like, I, I have talents. But here's the thing. If I'm honest, like if, I'm, if, I, if we're actually really, really honest with each other, there's totally times where I doubt that about myself. And if I doubt that about myself, I know that we doubt that about ourselves sometimes. Because there's a lie that we hear. There's a lie that says you're not good enough. There's a lie that says you're too far gone. There's a lie that says you're too far lost. There's a lie that says you've messed up too many times. There's a lie that says that, that test you cheated on in fourth grade disqualifies you from doing anything for God now. There's a lie that says you're like a sheep that's gone astray and you couldn't possibly be used by God for anything significant. And what I love what I really, really love about Jesus, I love that when we look at Jesus, we realize that even though we feel lost, that we have been found. And the power of that has the kind of power that's only the kind of power that God has. That's the kind of power that transforms our lives from the inside out, that changes the way that we live so that we become the kind of people that inspire and influence people in the world for Jesus. And so here's what I also like is that just as God found Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go do this thing for me, God finds us where we are. And God says, don't wait until you grow up. Don't wait until you clean up. Don't wait until you like make money or figure it out to move because you believe. Don't wait until you like have it all together. Spoiler alert for life, you're never gonna have it all together. So don't wait until you have it all together to do something to follow God. God says, I found you right where you are. Use what's in your hand. Okay, our big idea for today is this. Our big idea is that God has, you have unique gifts that God has given you to impact, inspire, and influence the world for Jesus. And here's the thing that I love the most. It's going to look different for everybody. If you have unique gifts about you, then it means that not everybody else has those same things. And so when we look at other people and we compare and we think, oh, I don't have what they have, then I think we're missing it because we're not looking at what God's given us. We're not being thankful for the things that God's given us that make us unique, that give us the ability to impact, inspire, influence the world for Jesus. And so what I like a lot, what I really, really love, is that it's gonna look different for everybody. Every single person, the way that you live this idea, this big idea out, 
it's going to look different for everyone. It's going to look different for everybody. And it's kind of like a puzzle. If you think of it like a puzzle, that, that you are each a piece of it. And when we all get it, when we all say, God, I know that you've put something in my hand for a reason, and I'm going to use it for you. When we all do that, then it, God has the ability to take those pieces of the puzzle and make a whole puzzle, a full picture of what it looks like to be followers of Jesus. Okay, the band's going to come up in a second, and we are going to respond. We love talking about response in JHM. We talk about response as being the first step in our relationships with Jesus. This week, we're going to invite you to respond a little bit differently. This week, we're going to invite you to respond by the seven-day challenge. So if you're on one of the ends of the rows, there should be some seven-day challenges in the cart next to you. Go ahead and grab those. Grab one and then pass it down to the people in your row. Make sure that everybody's got one. And if you run out, just take a picture of your friend's one. We'll, we'll post these on social media. We'll make sure that everybody has the chance to do this. So let me explain what this is. This is a seven-day challenge that's based on one of my favorite Bible verses. One of my favorite Bible verses is Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says this, The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let me read that again. The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, when we're doing this, when, when our hands are out and we say, God, use what you've put in my hands to impact and inspire the world for Jesus, when we do that, we're living out that verse. We are living out, doing what is right, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. And this seven-day challenge is just one of the ways that you can do that. So this challenge looks like this. If you have it, then you can take a look at it and follow along with me. Every single day this week, we're going to invite you to do three things. Every day, we're going to invite you to pick up ten pieces of trash at your school. Pray that God will help use you to care for the world around us. While you brush your teeth this week, pray for the hundreds of millions of people that are lacking clean water in the world. There's 800 million people in the world today who don't have access to clean water, and the water that you use to rinse out your mouth after you brush your teeth is more water than they'll have in a week. Pray at meals this week for people that are hungry and starving in the world today, and then learn more about global outreach at marionerschurch.org. Before the end of the week, we want you to do three things. We want you to write a letter to a teacher or life group leader with your family. Buy a homeless person a meal and ask them about their story. Go through your closet and pull out all the clothes you haven't worn in nine months. And then here's the great thing. Don't hoard it for yourself. Give it away. Like, do what is right. Love, mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Give it away. God's love is free. And that is the kind of way, lifestyle that he invites us to live in. And then at the end of the week, we, I want you to read this verse again. I want you to read Micah 6, 8 at the end of the week. And I want you to ask yourself, what do you think Jesus is inviting you to do to live out this verse? Because if it's going to look different for everybody, then the things that you do to walk justly, to act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly is going to look a little bit different for everybody. So what I want you to do is I want you to do the seven-day challenge. I want you to dig in. And then I want you to come back next week into JHM, and I want you to tell me about it. I want you to like, like pull me aside, and if we need to have a longer conversation, we can go get a burrito and talk about it. But I want you to pull me or your life group leader or another staff aside and be like, dude, this is what I did to live out the seven-day challenge, and now this is what I'm going to do for the next year. Like for the next year, I'm going to pray for people um, that don't have homes. For the next year, I'm going to make sure that, that kids who don't have clean water have more clean water. Like what are you going to do? How are you, JHM, going to move because you believe? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to lead us out in one song, and then I'm going to give you instructions on dismissal. Let's pray. Stand up with me. Stand on up.
As you stand up, you can put your hands out. When we put our hands out, it puts us in a position to receive what God has for us because we believe that God gives good gifts. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so cool. Jesus, thank you for gifting us uniquely. Thank you for placing in us what we need to influence the world for you. I pray that this week we'll move because we believe. You may pray. Amen. I'm wide awake, drawing close to God's grace. Oh, ah.